Hey there, my name is Art Wright, and I'm the pastor at Williamsburg Baptist Church in historic Williamsburg, Virginia. The sermon you're about to listen to is from our worship service on Sunday, November 21st, 2021. The text is taken from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, which describe God creating humanity in God's own image. And our guest preacher and proclaimer of this for November 21st was our very own Lynn Underwood. I was at a conference uh, related to my uh, biblical scholarship, and so Lynn was gracious enough to step into the pulpit and did a marvelous job. I hope that his sermon on the image of God will help you come to deepen your own understanding of the image of God that you bear within you, but also gain new, deeper awareness of the image of God in others as well, because it really is a, a revolutionary way to approach the world. And so I really am grateful for Len's words of wisdom and encouragement and challenge in this sermon. Hope that you'll find great benefit as well. Would love for you to head out over to our website at www.williamsburgbaptist.com if you have a minute to check out the latest updates. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram these days. That's enough from me for now. Thanks so much for listening. God bless. Well, let me introduce myself. My name is Lynn Underwood. And like many of you, I'm simply a lay member of this church, and I'm here as a substitute for you, your, our senior pastor, Dr. Wright, who is away on a um, seminar or an educational uh, event at the Society for Biblical Literature. It's their annual meeting, and he's there with a great number of other people, and we wish him well, and we give him prayers. My name is Lynn Underwood. I, my pronouns are he and him. Uh, the title of my sermon today is You Are the Image of God. My brother has always been my spiritual mentor. Eleven years my senior, I always looked up to him and learned from him. I remember when I was a youngster in Sunday school, I had come home from church one day telling him what we had studied there. His response was a bit dismissive. He began by asking me if they told me that Adam and Eve were the first family on earth. I said, yes. I can't remember exactly how old I was. Then he gave me a challenge. He said, next Sunday school, if you want to see your teacher in a quandary, ask her who Seth married when he went off to the land of Nod. I got in trouble for that one. But it got me to thinking about what I was reading or what I was hearing from others. But looking back, I know that he was the one to teach me critical thinking at a very young age. He surprises me all the time like that. But a few years ago, about 2017 or so, he really did surprise me. The setting was his ex-wife's home uh, where we were guests in the Santa Clara Pueblo in New Mexico. The occasion was the annual corn dance. The Native Americans from her Pueblo would dance all day and tourists were invited to come and watch for free. We had a center front row seat from Tessie's porch. Each year it was a big deal for the Pueblo's residents to host anyone who came to visit the dance and offer a a free home-cooked meal inside each of their homes, again, for free. Uh, Tessie and her sisters and everyone else in the Pueblo uh, would work for days or weeks in preparation for the event. Of course, there were lots of things that tourists could buy from the Santa Clara residents, but the big event was the dance, and the social part was meeting people. 
Word was that several notable figures had dined around Tessie's table. Native Americans from Santa Clara would dress in traditional costumes and perform rehearsed dances uh, that had been handed down for generations by their ancestors. I remember there was a character in costume that Tessie called the Joker. He was said to be a disruptor in life's affairs. He had something of a quirky behavior. He was the one that was always present when there was, and easy to blame, when there was otherwise unexplained circumstances. And maybe engineers and scientists would call him entropy or chaos. I remember that the Joker came into Tessie's home during one, one time, and he drank a glass of cold water that Tessie gave him, and promptly left after blessing the house with his ayah. It was a rattle made of a dried gourd and kernels inside that made a rattling sound. This was a general disruptor of human affairs with good intentions. He went back to the dance, and in a little while, my brother, feigning excitement and enthusiastic astonishment, grabbed me by my arm and pointed at the Joker, and he said, Look, Lynn, there's God right there. Look, he's dancing. See him? Look, there he is. I got the message. God was there in the flesh. He looked like you and me, a child of God made in the image of God. I had seen him close up. He came into the house. He even walked right by me and shook his eye at me, too. Larry's point was that God is everywhere and in everyone. We can see that truth if we just look around and acknowledge the truth that was told to us 3,000 years ago by Moses. I suddenly recognized that while the Joker was different in appearance from everyone else, maybe a little bit goofy and strange to us, he was also a child of God, just like the rest of us. Larry didn't have to tell me that the Bible affirmed this message. I knew it well, Genesis 127. So God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them, male and female. God created them. God created man, uh, humanity in God's own image. It was a scripture you heard this morning. But there are more references in, in the Bible uh, to humanity being created in the image of God. Here's but a few. Genesis 5.1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In, in the day that God created humanity, God made humanity in God's own image or likeness. Genesis 9.6. For in the divine image, God has made human beings. And Ephesians 4.24. And to put on the new self created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.10 And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. These scriptures led to the Latin term imago Dei, the image of God. This is a theological term applied uniquely to humans. It denotes a metaphorical relationship between God and humanity. The passage does not imply that God is in human form, but rather the humans are in the image of God in their moral, spiritual, and intellectual nature. Thus, humans mirror God's divinity in their ability to actualize the unique qualities with which they have been endowed and which make them different from creatures. According to Father Michael Marsh, an Episcopal priest who's written extensively on the subject, these are things like rational thinking, complete centeredness, creative freedom, a possibility of self-actualization, 
possibility of self-transcendence. Now let's shift to around the year 325 AD in the land of Israel and visit with Rabbi Joshua ben Levi. He was an Amora, a tradition of rabbis who kept the oral Torah by repeating it for the people. He was a scholar of the Talmud and lived in the town of Lod. He's a source of one of my favorite quotes. Behold, a procession of angels passes before each person and heralds go before them saying, make way for the image of God. Have you noticed the signs in the, in the bathrooms by the mirrors around the church? Behold the image of God. Well, now you know where the wording comes from. By the way, the wood came from a dead red cedar tree from our cabin in Elkton, Virginia. But can you imagine, wherever you go, a noisy crowd goes in front of each of us, shouting, music playing, proclaiming our arrival. We are never alone. The crowd always precedes us and announces our arrival, like a king or a queen or a president. We are royalty. Whether we understand this literally or symbolically, the concept of a host of angels playing music, marching in front of us, should remind us that each of us bear the image of God. Some people might read this quote, maybe placed near the mirror and think, well, of course, I am created in the image of God, but they will likely not think of the person that comes after them and looks in the mirror, or maybe the person that's not there that hasn't looked into the mirror yet as being the image of God. We all are in the image of God. If this is true, as Richard Rohr claims, our family origin is divine. At a spiritual formation class here at Waynesburg Baptist Church I was in a few years ago, we were discussing Richard Rohr's book, Everything Belongs. The discussion was about everything being sacred and God being within each of us. I thought of the story from my brother about the Joker and I recounted it for the others in the class. Then later during the service, a homeless man came in and midway through the service and he stood right over here and he made something of a stir when he stood up to put money in the collection plate because he wanted change back. Well, the ushers and, and the pastor were very, very polite and, and, and waiting um, and the, um, the, the homeless man made the change that he wanted uh, and about that time I leaned forward to the couple right in front of me and, and I said, Look, Bobby, look, there's God right there. Look, you see him? He reminded us both of the lesson we had learned in Sunday school that day. God is everywhere and certainly in each one of us. I agree with Richard Rohr when he asserts that all of the Bible is trying to illustrate through various stories humanity's objective unity with God. Rohr continued this thought with a profound idea the great illusion that we must all overcome is the illusion of separateness. I add this to the mix to make a point with a question. Do we consider our worst enemies, our political foes, those with an alternative gender identification, the poor, the homeless, those of a different color, race, ethnicity, religion, or any other distinction from ours, the outcasts of society, all of them, do we consider them as being in the image of God? I think the real lesson that Rabbi Ben, ben Levi gives is 
to treat everyone as if we would treat God. Richard Rohr wrote something about this um, in a meditation he sends out daily. He recalled a time in seminary when uh, his professor was speaking about the Good Samaritan story. He was bored, Rohr was bored, but he said he paid attention at the end when the professor said these words. This is not a story about being nice. It's a story about a transformation of the world. His further point was that there are three types of people portrayed here. The robber's ethic was, what is yours is mine at whatever cost. The priest and the Levite's ethic was, what is mine is mine, even if it means you have to get hurt in the process. The Samaritan's ethic was love. Moreover, the Samaritan's ethic was, what is mine is yours if you need it. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. suggested the priest and the Levite ask a different question. They asked the question, if I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? And the Samaritan asked a different question. If I don't stop and help this man, what will happen to him? He suggested that the mindset of the Good Samaritan was, my safety is yours, my security is yours, my resources are yours, my health is tied to your health, and my well-being is tied to your well-being. Do we do that? Michael Marsh, the Episcopal priest in Uvalde, Texas, I mentioned earlier, has a website that I love to visit. It's, it's entitled, uh, the website is Interrupting the Silence. On that, Father Mike asked, do we consider that reverence that we have for God is shown in our reverence and actions for each other? When we harm anyone for any reason except self-defense, are we harming God? If we deny another person's humanity, have we denied God's divinity? If we are hostile or violent to another, is that blasphemous toward God? Father Mike also proclaimed, our love for our neighbor reveals our love for God. And as we all know in this church, they're all our neighbor. Along this line, my last biblical references from the New Testament, Matthew chapter 25. The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And later in verse 45, he said, he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. I think Jesus is trying to convey that each of us is a child of God and we should recognize that and act accordingly. If we don't see that holiness in ourselves and others, we've missed the divinity of God. In his book, Love is the Way, Episcopal Bishop Michael Curry said, everybody is God's somebody. You are God's somebody. Now, now I'd like to turn the sermon over to you for a little self-reflection. Do we live our life as if we were made in the image of God? And do we recognize God in others? What qualities do we see in Jesus? Are we modeling his character in our non-Sunday life? Do we truly follow him? Remember, he said that 21 times in just the four Gospels. Do we live our life as if we are in the image of God? Do we treat others as if they are in the image of God? This last week, were we compassionate? Were we merciful? Were we forgiving? 
Were we humble? Were we respectful, understanding, tolerant? Did we practice all these characteristics all week and to everyone? Think for a minute, what would the world be like if we did this, if each of us did this? Would we need laws, police, armies? How different would our world be if we simply practice this very basic principle that we are in the image of God and so is everyone else? I took a Dale Carnegie course one time, a leadership course, and I remember a little challenge they taught us about how to bring the best out in someone. It involved throwing down a gauntlet. And in the old days, throwing down a gauntlet was a challenge to a duel. But in the case of Dale Carnegie, it was meant to set the bar pretty high for someone in the hope that they could aspire to that level of behavior. It is a common thing now for a manager or coach to do. It involves encouragement and coaxing. I'd like to metaphorically throw down a gauntlet to you and to myself. Right now, from where you sit, I challenge you to imagine that you are the image of God. And more than that, imagine that the person next to you and the person next to them is the image of God. I'm also challenging myself to do the same thing. Can we do this all this week, all this week? Can we do it for the rest of our lives? Amen.